Welcome to the I Am In podcast. We are excited to announce that this summer, 2022, we will be recording our weekly summer speaker each Wednesday night at the Boise Institute. We will hear messages from various individuals sharing their life story in front of a live audience of young adults. Each speaker will share key times that God manifest himself and prevailed in their life. It's the reason they continue to say, I am in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am Michelle Burke, the host of the I Am In podcast and an instructor at the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. Brendan Felix and his wife Lucinda enjoy spending time outside on the lake, camping, shooting, and four-wheeling. They are the parents of four children. Brother Felix has a bachelor's degree in psychology. They currently reside in Nampa and love living in Idaho. Brother Felix works for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, teaching seminary courses to high school students and institute classes to young adults. Tonight, he will share his love for the Savior and how God has blessed his life. Thank you. I am grateful for this opportunity to, to be with you tonight. I don't know if you're aware of the subject that speakers at Win are given. Uh, this is what I was told. My life story from the perspective of key times that God manifested himself and prevailed in my life. So if this is not your first night, then you've probably seen that as you've listened to these speakers. And I have that wonderful opportunity to, to share the same, to share those times where I saw the Lord's hand in my life. And it's been a, a great thing for me to reflect over the past 48 years of my life. The past 48 years have brought me this. Uh, the picture on the screen that I'm showing is of my family, my immediate family, and then the two little adorable ones in the corners are my, are my grandchildren. Um, trying to have God prevail in my life has brought me to this wonderful group, uh, this crew that I love, that I love dearly. One of the things that I noticed as I thought about this subject where you reflect back and see, where did you see the Lord's hand? When did I let him prevail? I thought of, as I, as I went through this exercise, and I would encourage this to, for each of you to do the same, to take an opportunity in your life to think back and see those, see those moments. But as I did, I thought of the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You probably are familiar with this story in, in Luke. This is after the Savior's death and after his resurrection. There were two disciples walking along the road, heading to a town called Emmaus. One of the disciples is named Cleopas. The other one we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us his name. But these two disciples are talking, and they're, they're, just, they're saddened by the events that, that took place. They don't quite know about or have the realization that the resurrection has taken place. And so they're just focusing on what happened to the Savior. Well, the Savior comes up and joins them. And the scriptures say this, And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they could not know him. The footnote for holden says restrained. So you've got these two guys that they're talking with the Savior, but they don't know it's him. They, they can't see for whatever reason. And he asks them, why are you sad? And they're like, what are you, a stranger here? Don't you know what's going on? And they say what happened to what happened to the Savior? And then the Savior actually teaches them about how the prophets have been prophesying about this taking place. And they're walking along. Eventually, they get, they get to Emmaus, and he's, he kind of implies that he's going to keep going. 
But the two disciples say, please stay with us and, and, and have, have dinner with us. And so they go in and they, they break bread and the Savior breaks bread and says, it says, uh, he took the bread and blessed it, break it and gave it to him. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And then this key scripture that I think kind of relates to what, what's happened to me as I've thought over these past few weeks about the key times in, the Lord, in, in my life where the Lord has manifested himself. These two disciples said to themselves, to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? So after the fact, they're able to look back and go, oh yeah, our hearts burned within us. I, I was feeling something. And sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's that hindsight where we look back and go, oh yeah, I did see the Lord in my life or oh, I let him prevail in my life and it, and it blessed me. So that's why I would recommend this process to you, to have you do this for yourself, uh, to be thinking about it. Because often we're, we're those disciples on the road to Emmaus, and until we look back, we don't quite, we don't quite see it. So that's been my blessing, of uh, being able to, to look back. So in my life, I feel like from the very beginning, before I was born, the Lord prevailed, prevailed in my life. That's easy to say that because we're like, okay, we're here, and so we chose the Savior. And so, yes, definitely, we came from premortal life, and we, we came here. But personally speaking, I feel like He got me here when I wasn't supposed to be here. He had, me, he had to prevail to get me to, get me to earth. My parents were living in upstate New York at the time, and I had two, there's two older sisters, two girls they'd already had, uh, one was two and a half years old, and the other one was one year old, and they were 18 months apart. And so my parents had these two little girls, and they were really close together, and very much, very much a handful. Um, the littlest one, she, she was a runner. I think she started walking when she was about 10 months old, and she has not stopped since. And so my parents are like, no more kids right now for us. We do not want any more children. So they went to the doctor and they decided on a form of birth control that's 99% effective, uh, an IUD. And, but God prevailed in, in this life and I am the 1%. I made it. I made it here when they were not. In fact, I tease them about it. I'm like, you guys didn't even want me. And they're like, of course we wanted you. We just... And so all of a sudden they have three kids under three. And I've been wondering, why, why did I get sent here? Now, there's been some things that I, I kind of know, but I'm still trying to figure out why, at, for such a time as this, did the Lord have me, have me come here? Much to the, it, quite a handful for my, for my little parents there, uh, all three of us kids, um, with them, testing, testing them, absolutely. Now, I do feel like I was born for, for such a time as this. That phrase, of course, comes to us from the book of Esther. Mordecai says that to Queen Esther as she's wondering about whether she should go in and, and address the king at the peril of her life. Um, and her uncle Mordecai, who raised her like a father, says, perhaps you have been raised for such a time as this. Now, I, I haven't saved a whole group of people from genocide like, like Esther did. Um, and so... It may to you feel like, well, you know, that's not that much, not that big of a story of, of being able to be born on this, on this earth. And you're right. For you, 
as you look at some of the things where I feel like God prevailed in my life, you might say, that's not that big of a deal. In fact, if you've been listening to these over the past few weeks, you've, you've heard about Brother Debel uh, trying to play Division I soccer. Um, you've heard about uh, Brother Swenson having Elder Christofferson come through his mission apartment, uh, if, you, if you attended that one. Uh, you heard about John, Brother Gagnon, and his, uh, his adopted father going up to his, his mom and saying, I'm going to marry you someday. And that was the first words out of his mouth. So you've heard some amazing things from these speakers. And you might look at mine and go, that's not amazing. And I've thought about that. I thought, gosh, do I have something that's going to be like, shock them, and it's going to be amazing. And I don't. They're amazing for me. And you might look at them and go, well, I don't know. But I've, I've thought about this. And I'm going to relate this to a quote from President Benson. President Benson said this, Becoming Christ-like is a lifetime pursuit and very often involves growth and change that is slow, almost imperceptible. The scriptures record remarkable accounts of men whose lives changed dramatically in an instant, as it were. Alma the Younger, Paul on the road to Damascus, Enos praying far into the night, King Lamoni. Such astonishing examples of the power to change even those steeped in sin give confidence that the atonement can reach even those deepest in despair. But we must be cautious as we discuss these remarkable examples. Though they are real and powerful, they are the exception more than the rule. For every Paul, for every Enos, and for every King Lamoni, there are hundreds and thousands of people who find the process of repentance much more subtle, much more imperceptible. Day by day, they, may, they move closer to the Lord, little realizing they are building a godlike life. They live quiet lives of goodness, <coughs> service, and commitment. They are like the Lamanites, who the Lord said were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. So I don't know that I'm going to share any dramatic Alan with the Younger, Paul on the road to Damascus stories with you. They're dramatic for me. But maybe that's okay. And maybe as you think about it in your life, maybe you're like, I don't have the massive stories. That's okay. I think you're on the right track, according to President Benson. We need to be cautious with remarkable because for most of us, the process of repentance is subtle, imperceptible, changing. And even when we see the Lord's hand in our life, it's those subtle things. It's the small and simple things as Alma testified to his son uh, in Alma chapter 37. So let me share a couple of those small things. And hopefully as our, the person who prayed for us today said that the Lord will prompt you with revelation about your life and how your life, you've seen these changes along the way. I don't remember much about my growing up years until age five. At age five, my dad, he worked for the church educational system as well. He was a seminary and institute teacher. He got an assignment change and went to Hawaii. So we got to go to Hawaii. And so that's the pictures on the screen. Uh, we stuck out in Hawaii. We didn't, uh, we didn't fit, fit in. Particularly, I'm this little blonde-haired uh, kid here, and I, I didn't fit in really well. Uh, when we were there for a short period of time, and maybe this is a, a, a bad example of, of the Lord prevailing in our lives. I, yeah, no worries. Uh, my dad was made a bishop just a, a couple years into our stay there. And when I turned eight, he was my bishop. And so he, says to, he comes to me and says, do you want to be baptized? And I said, yes. 
And that's a good example of the Lord prevailing in life. I, I made a good choice. I got baptized. And then he said this, do you want to get baptized in the ocean? And I said, no. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, all these years, I'm like, why? So I got baptized in a font in Hawaii. Now, the font was a little different. It was kind of in a courtyard there. It was, it was outside. So it was a little different, but I could have been baptized in the ocean. And so, I don't know, but I guess the most important thing is that the Lord did prevail and I got, I got baptized and I got on the, on the, covenant, on the covenant path. Uh, shortly after that, we moved, to, we moved to Lehi, which is where I spent the majority of my growing up years. At the age of 13, my parents decided that they wanted their children to have a specific type of experience to help their testimony grow. And so they packed up five children, ages ranging from 16 to 3, and they put them in the back of a camper truck, one of those that goes on the back of the, back of the truck, and they drove 2,200 miles to the East Coast. And as some of these pictures show, those, uh, we didn't all fit in the camper at night, and so some of us have to take the turns sleeping outside on the ground. Uh, the laundry's kind of hanging. We're having, uh, having lunch wherever. But we got to go see awesome, uh, awesome history sites and then church history sites. And so for 2,200 miles, we went all the way back there, cramped quarters. We had an intercom system that kind of worked between the parents up front and the five kids going wild in the back. And uh, so it, turned, it kind of turned into a little bit of the Lord of the Flies in the back of the camper at times. But we made it and, and we got there. For a few days of that trip, we got to spend time in Palmyra, New York. As we came to the entrance of the Sacred Grove, we took, our, we took the, the family picture there uh, in front of the grove. But we noticed that there was this, this dark colored car parked there and there's some guys in a bunch of suits. And they weren't letting people into this portion of the grove. And we're like, what's the deal? And so we start asking around and, we, and they say, President Benson, who was the prophet of God at the time, is in the grove with the missionaries that are in the Palmyra mission. They're having a mission conference or a zone conference of some sort. And the prophet of God is there. So we just, we just wait. And we're standing there. And eventually, a group of people come out. And one of the people that comes out is, is President Ezra Taft Benson. And naturally, the, the group of people there just started bursting into song. What did they sing? We thank thee, O God, for a prophet. And so I'm sitting there. And everybody's just singing a cappella as the prophet of God walks up. And I felt something. I felt that witness that this man is a prophet. And all these other church history sites, we went to the Joe Smith Farm, and we went to Nauvoo, we went to Carthage, we went to uh, the Kirtland Temple. We, we stopped at almost every pioneer thing from Illinois to Salt Lake when we drove back. But it was that moment. That time makes the whole trip worth it for me. Uh, because I knew, I knew that man was a prophet. Eventually, that's the man that signs my mission call that sends me back to New York uh, to, to serve a mission for the Lord and to try to gather, gather Israel. That moment may have been what led me to the witness that the scriptures in Doctrine and Covenants 21 are true. In Doctrine and Covenants 21 it states, Wherefore, meaning the church, thou shalt give heed unto all of his words and commandments which he shall give unto you as he receiveth them, walking in all holiness before me, for his word ye shall receive as if from mine own mouth, in all patience and faith. For by doing these things the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And the Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. 
I testify that when we follow prophets of God, that those three things are true. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. The Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness and he'll cause the heavens to shake for your good. And so I'm so grateful for that little moment, that defining moment where I knew that that man was a prophet. And then that helps me go forward as I, as I continue through life and I continue to listen, listen to prophets. Growing up in, in Lehigh, uh, we have release time seminary down there, and, and most of the schools in Utah County, the ninth grade year is in a junior high situation, and then you go 10 through 12 in a high school. And so they have a bunch of these little tiny seminary buildings off to the side of junior highs. This was uh, Lehigh Junior High, this picture. And it's a picture of my two seminary teachers, Brother Osler and Brother Robbins. We studied the New Testament that year that I took my, my first year of seminary, and Brother Robbins uh, this one on the right over here, he got up and he said, we want you to, to read the scriptures daily. So what we're going to do is when you read the scriptures for 30 days, we're going to give you this certificate and we're going to put it on the wall with your name on it. And then another 30 days, we're going to put a sticker. And then another 30 days, we're going to put a sticker. And I'm like, that is lame. That is lame. I am so not doing that. Not going to do that. And then as the days go by, I start seeing people with their certificates on the wall with their names on the wall. And I'm like, uh, well, maybe I'll start reading because out of embarrassment or whatever, I thought, I'll, I'll start reading the scriptures. And so I, I began to read. And I started reading nightly. And I fell in love with the scriptures. Now, I wasn't perfect, still not perfect at reading the scriptures. But when I start to read them, I feel something. It's that same type of feeling that I got in the grove. It's that feeling of peace, of assurance that it's true. I've never had this massive spiritual witness that the Book of Mormon is true. Uh, even when I, when, uh, when I was on my mission, I would tell people, you know, we want you to read and pray about this book and look for the, for the, the Holy Ghost witnessing to you that it's true. And they'd say, well, what, what, did it, what was it like for you, Brother Felix, or Elder Felix? And I'd say, I don't have a big story about it. I just feel it when, when, when I read it. I just feel that it's true. And so you may be like that as well. You don't have that moment where that defining moment where you sat down and you put Moroni's promise to test. Maybe you just feel it, that it's true. And I, I credit my freshman, my ninth grade seminary teachers to try to get me to have that, that habit by just a little certificate on the wall. Uh, but that started and contributed to the love I have, I have for the scriptures. Uh, perhaps the next defining moment came in my life on Valentine's Day, 1988. Now, I know what you're thinking, Valentine's Day. There had to have been a girl involved, or at least at the very minimum, chocolate involved, right? Um, it wasn't. It was. In fact, it was a normal, normal Valentine's Day, whatever that's like at a, at a junior high. You know, there's balloons and different things. Um, so normal Valentine's Day, but I come home from that day. And my father gathers all of my siblings together. My mom is not there. Uh, earlier that day, she went into the doctors to follow up on. She'd been having some nosebleeds, and so she went in the doctors. The doctors admitted her into the hospital and diagnosed her with leukemia. My father told us what had happened and tried to prepare us for kind of the trek ahead. As I mentioned, my, my dad did teach seminary institute. And so pulling his best seminary and institute 
teacher skills together, he said, you know what? We're going to be like the pioneers of old. And he took out a piece of paper and he wrote down the Felix Pioneer Company, Camp Instructions. It was just like section, just like, kind of like section 136, Brigham Young receives these instructions for the saints to go across. My dad wrote down instructions for us uh, to be able to handle it when my mom was going to be in the hospital uh, fighting, fighting leukemia. As you can see on the, on the instructions, there were things about personal prayer. Personal prayer is a must. Don't forget to give thanks for our blessings. And then kind of some A, B, and C's. Dad will call the family prayer. If not, then Brendan, I was the next oldest son, will be responsible. And then Matt, who's going to be the, my, my younger brother, who's going to be a deacon. If we're running late for school, we should still have prayer. Someone should always help Amberly. Amberly was my, my littlest sister, who at this time would have been, she was born in 84, five years old. Um, and so trying to keep track. He wrote these up, other things, sleep time, uh, some specifics about Amberly. Amberly is our responsibility. We must remember she does not feel herself, uh, she does not feed herself very well. <laughs> She's five. Also, little kids, big ones too, miss parents more. Hugs and kisses are really good. Now, I don't have the backside of this document. I need to because I need to finish this sentence. She'll be especially ornery because she. And then it's cut off. I don't know what the backside is, so I got to have my dad find the backside. But this five-year-old, he was warning us. But he wanted us to come together. He knew it was going to be a struggle. And over the, the, the following months, uh, as, my, as my mother fought leukemia, uh, she lost her hair, which, you know, I, I totally can feel for. Um, but we, we got to stay in her hospital room overnight. Uh, she endured the hard, hardships of chemotherapy, the hospital stays, uh, the ports that they, they put in you because you're, you're having so much medication. Uh, but it was an experience to me that taught me that God can prevail in our life as we move forward and trust in Him. And to help me know that uh, he was going to be there, whether I had a mother or not. And I, and I do have a mother. She survived um, and, uh, and fought through that. Now, recently, those same feelings have come back again. As my mother was diagnosed with cancer again, just two months ago. So we're starting down the road again. I don't know if there's going to be a Felix Pioneer Company sheet again uh, to pull us together, uh, but we're going to keep fighting and we're going to let God prevail in, in one way or another. We're going to trust in Him uh, because we came to understand that. Uh, in a small, small way, I came to understand what was told to the prophet Joseph in section 121. My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thy adversity and thine affliction shall be but a small moment. And then if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. Thy friends do stand by thee, and they shall hail thee again with warm hearts and friendly hands. My family became my closest friends, and we stood by each other. And that was the time where I saw the Lord's hand in our, in our life, and we will see it again in our life. Uh, in May, we'll, we'll go to the next one. Excuse me. May 1993, while on a camping trip with my friends, just 
west or just east of Lehi. I wandered away from the fire. Everybody was around the fire. And I wandered away from the fire to find a secluded spot in the cedar trees out there. It's a familiar spot. I've done a lot of motorcycling and camping and shooting and hunting and things in this area with my buddies. In fact, just a few weeks earlier, I had received my mission call right out there. Because uh, back in the day, Lehigh was a pretty small town. No, no stoplights. It was, it was pretty, pretty small. It had a little post office. And the post office, when they received people's mission calls, because they used to send them in letters, and it wasn't just an email, uh, but a big envelope. And so this small little small town post office would see this envelope and they'd go, oh, it's the Felix's. And so they would call the parents and say, it's like six in the morning, hey, we got your son or daughter's mission call. Do you want to, you want to come down and grab it? And you don't have to wait till that afternoon. Um, and so I had gone camping. I didn't know when it was going to come. Uh, the post office calls my parents on a Saturday morning. They go down and they get the envelope. They drive it out to the, the middle of this campsite. And I open it up while I'm out motorcycling and camping uh, with all my buddies. Great experience. A few weeks later, I'm in the same place. And I'm wandering off to pray to approach my Heavenly Father. But it wasn't about should I serve a mission. I had long felt and knew that that church missionary service was, was what I wanted to do and what the Lord wanted me to do. My plea was to know whether he was going to help me. I was so scared. I was so nervous. Small town kid going to, going to the East Coast. I was just scared. And I was wondering if he was going to if he was going to be there for me through those two years, which is such a silly question, right? I mean, it's the Lord's gathering of Israel. Where else is he going to be? It's the most important work. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just was so worried. And, uh, and so I wander out and I, and I say a prayer, pouring out my heart of just how scared I am and how nervous I am. And I, and I feel something again, much like what those other experiences were a sweet, calm assurance that he was going to be with me. And that, that helped me to move on. That helped me to go forward. And that was, going to, that was going to come into play the first night of the mission when I'm in the basement of the mission home and I'm off the side of the cot and there's like 10 other new elders that are there. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And I had to re remember that assurance. A couple months down the road, I get a call from home about a family friend that had passed away, my, my priest quorum advisor. That assurance had to, had to come in to play. I had, uh, I got mission splits from, I was originally called the Connecticut Hartford, split halfway through two different missions, three different mission presidents, three prophets, President Benson, uh, he passed away, President Hunter, President Hunter was a prophet for nine months. He passed away, then President Hinckley. So all, all of this, I had to rely on that sweet assurance that he was going to be with me. That assurance that is, I think, capsulated perfectly in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I knew, he, I knew he would, and I know he did. Now, the two years come to an end, and you have an exit interview. This is my mission, mission president and his spouse, President Hatch, Noel Hatch. Uh, I think he's 90 now. Um, I think he's still with us. Uh, we come to the mission, the exit interview, and he, he just shares two things that I remember. I'm sure he shared more, but two things I remember. The first thing he says is, 
Now, Elder Felix, now don't go home and rush into marriage. You don't have to get married right away, which is odd, right? Because usually you hear mission presidents like, go get married, it's your next companion, you know, or whatever it is. And, and, but he's like, don't get married right away. You got time. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Now, his second one, even more interesting as he's talking about this, he says, don't marry a crazy girl. And I'm like, where did that come from? I don't, I don't know, you know? And my wife would say, well, you didn't follow either of those things. <laughs> She's not crazy. Um, but so I, I remember walking out of there going, okay, well, I, I don't need to get married right away. I, I'm not really, that's not the highest priority. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not looking. Uh, but God prevailed because he knew better. Uh, so as you heard early, I, I got home, I enrolled at UVSC, now UVU, got involved in Institute, my plug for Institute, um, got, on the, got on the Institute committee, uh, I was on the activities committee at the suggestion of my father, he said that the chair of the committee was a sharp, attractive girl, so I, I followed his counsel, uh, went to that committee, uh, they had 7 a.m. committee meetings on Thursday mornings, much like here, there's, there's early morning Friday committee meetings, and then they have the sweet breakfast afterwards, so, so do it. It's awesome. It's awesome to serve. And the free breakfast, that's a, that's a nice perk. So shortly into serving on the activities committee and the, the school year starting, uh, there was a dance plan. And so Thursday night, we're decorating for the dance. And I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of fresh off. I, well, I've been home for, I don't know, three months, two and, two and a half months. But I still kind of had that missionary vibe. So I was going around the room, talking to people. You know how you kind of have that, that thing going. And I go up to this one particular young lady. And she didn't really seem to give me the time of day. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's fine. And so I'm, I'm still talking with other people. But I distinctly remember thinking, well, she's kind of a little cold, you know. Not very, not, not very receptive. Anyway, good night. And the next day was a dance. So I go to the dance. And I ask this lady, this, this young lady to dance. Uh, her, name is, her name is Lucinda. And totally different from the night before. Totally comfortable, natural, uh, just very authentic, open, just had a lot of fun. Enough that uh, I danced with her once, then I danced with her again, then I danced with her a third time. Not all in a row, not all in a row, but, but eventually, eventually three times. Each time, kind of the dancing got a little closer. I'm sure it's because they were turning the music up louder and I wanted to be able to converse and hear. <laughs> I'm sure it was that, not anything else. Before the dance, my friend and I, Nathan, uh, my, my best friend, plan on going on a double date the next day, the Saturday. And so we're like, we've got to find dates, got to find dates. And so neither of us had any dates or had any arrangements. So I'm like, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Lucinda. But I could never get her alone. I'm like, I did not want to ask her in front of other people and just get totally shot down. And so we're cleaning up after the dance and I find this moment and I steal her keys and I like walk away. She's like, you're taking my keys. I... I'm like, I got to get her alone, which it seems a little creepy now, right? Because I'm walking away with the keys. I don't know. Got to the point where she was by herself, and I asked her, and she accepted. We went on, a, we went on an awesome date and continued to have awesome dates each week after that. So I don't know if I recommend the, the stealing of car keys or not. Anyway, so I'm having a lot of fun dating, dating this girl. But I'm definitely not looking to get married. But Lucinda had had a different experience along the way. In fact, after that first night, when I met her that first night, decorating for the dance the night before, 
She went home and told her roommates that she had met the person she was going to marry. I'm like, that's the girl that seemed kind of cold. I don't know. I, I don't know. She has certainly always been more receptive to what God wants and letting God prevail in her life. Uh, she knew, and you'd, you'd have to ask her how and, and, and why she knew, but I didn't know. But she was careful to listen to the Spirit along the way and not, and not scare me. In fact, there was one time she was, she's like, I wanted to bring up marriage, but I just, the Spirit's like, don't. And, which is good, because I would have been like, ah, I'm out, you know, I'm bolting and just, just scared. Eventually, though, Sunday morning, down in Provo, I'd driven from home to, to go to church on campus, and I was early, which, when am I ever early for church? But So along the way, I pull into a parking lot. This is the, the parking lot is the parking lot right outside Cougar Stadium. And I'm looking, I'm just there looking at, looking at the mountains over here, looking at the back of the stadium, and just pondering and thinking and, and reading scriptures. And as I was sitting there, the question come, came to my mind about whether to marry Lucinda. And so I'm sitting there pondering, and I turn to Moroni 10.5, and you, many of you know this, and by the power of the Holy Ghost you may know the truth of all things. And I knew that the Holy Ghost could help me know if it was right to marry her or not. So I then started pondering about the Holy Ghost. What's it like? What's it feel like? Have I felt the Holy Ghost when I'm around her? And I turn to another, another great scripture, Galatians chapter 5, and I, and I read the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And as I was listing these feelings, my mind keeps recalling these experiences with her. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's that, that peace. Oh, there's that long-suffering. There's the, oh, I saw her be this gentleness and oh, the faith. And, and just confirming experiences with the Spirit together to, to help me to know. Interesting that the, the Spirit, as we learn in, in John, it will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Can it help me to remember where I saw the Spirit and where I saw it in her? And so as I sat in that car, I felt the Holy Ghost confirm to me that, that Mary and Lucinda was right. Still scared to death, right? Not knowing, well, okay. Um, so I have the direction. But sometimes you have direction and it takes a little while. And along the way, maybe you have some fear, you have some insecurity that, that sneaks in. At least I know I do. And so the, the words that Paul wrote to the Hebrews, very important when he said, But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Cast not away the confidences. Remember. Remember the former days when you were illuminated. And so there are times when the insecurity and fear and whatever snuck in, I have to, I'd have to remember those times. I have to remember that moment in the parking lot and, and draw on that. One particular time when I, the, the fear of the future and was just totally kind of debilitating. I went to the temple, Provo Temple. I'm sitting in the chapel, and I, I turn to Doctrine and Covenants 6, and I'm reading, and it says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Blessed art thou for, for what thou hast done. For thou hast inquired of me, and behold, as often as thou inquired, thou hast received instruction of my spirit. The next verse, Behold, thou knowest that thou hast inquired of me, and I did enlighten thy mind. And now I tell you these things, that you may knowest that thou hast been enlightened by the spirit of truth. 
So I walk out of the temple that day with the same kind of concerns and so on, but lighter, more sure, more encouraged that God's going to help me prevail because he enlightened me. And I could, I could remember that in my life. We were married on July 12th, 1996. That is 26 years ago. Yesterday was our, was our anniversary. Every good thing I have accomplished in my life since July 12th has been because of the grace of God and because of Lucinda Felix. I had no idea where our life would take us. And she really deserves the credit for where we have, where we have come. Years ago, she was, she was talking to a group of sisters in the ward about life, and one of them made a comment, wow, what was it like to marry a seminary teacher? And she said, I wouldn't know, I married a roofer. Then I helped him become a seminary teacher, <laughs> which is really the truth. Um, when she married me, I was making eight fifty an hour roofing, going to school. I mean, it was, it was a leap of faith. She took a chance on me. After, after we were married, uh, we were driving along and and I said, I think I want to be a high school teacher. And she said, okay. And she thought, what a, how are we going to survive on a high school teacher's salary? And, and all that went, but she was totally supportive. That's fine. And then things, then things change and we let the Lord prevail and lead us in a different direction. And we end up in the seminary and institute program. But she exercises faith. She lets God prevail in her life. She knows her Heavenly Father. She knows her Savior. And she is directed by Him. Her faith has just blessed our lives and the, life of our, the lives of our children continually. Uh, so this is, this is our crew. Uh, our, oldest, our oldest daughter, who is married to, to Carson. Um, picture of them in the bottom right corner. They have two children. Felix is, is his name, my, my grandson's name. So she wanted to keep the last name. Her last name got changed to Smith. And so she's like, I'll name my son Felix. Sweet. Keep the, keep the name. And then the little girl in the bottom left corner, her name is Maya, Maya Lucinda, named after her grandma. And uh, so those are, those are our two grandbabies. Uh, my redheaded son there on the right, uh, his name is Dallin. Uh, he is down at SUU for school and he got back from the Scotland, Ireland mission uh, a little while ago. I do have one that's on a mission right now in the Texas Lubbock mission, Logan. Um, who's actually serving in Roswell, New Mexico, where all the aliens are or whatever. And so he got to participate in the 75th anniversary alien Roswell thing just this past couple weeks. And then my, my youngest is a senior at Nampa High this year. We have these marvelous children. We have been blessed by the Lord. He is so good. He is so generous. And he just leads with little things along the way. And if we learn to, to heed those little things, let him prevail, good things happen. Our life is not perfect. We have, we have some challenges and some struggles. Uh, but we're making it. We're making it with the, Lord's, with the Lord's help. Learning to let the Lord prevail in our lives really is the test of life. Elder Bednar said it a little different, but I think it's the same thing as learning to let the Lord prevail in our life. He said this, the precise nature of the test of mortality then can be summarized in the following question. Will I respond to the inclinations of the natural man or will I yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit, put off the natural man and become a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord? 
That is the test. Every appetite, desire, propensity, and impulse of the natural man may be overcome by and through the atonement of Jesus Christ. We're here on the earth to develop godlike qualities to bridle all the passions of the flesh. We could take his, his narrowed-down test of life. Will I respond to the inclinations of the natural man, or will I yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and put off the natural man and become a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord? That basically is saying, will I let God prevail? Am I going to listen to the Spirit enough to let God prevail over the natural man, over all the things of this, of this world? That's really the test of this life. I know that when we do, good things happen. It's worth letting him prevail. Let's go back to that same prophet that I mentioned, the prophet that came out of that grove when I was 13, the same prophet that later gave me the mission call, um, that same prophet, the year I was born, 1974, the year I was born, said this, men and women who turn their lives over to God will find out that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, raise up friends, pour out peace. Whoever will lose his life to God will find he has eternal life. May we lose our life to God. Let him prevail, because that's how you're gonna gain the greatest blessings, the multiply of blessings, the increase of opportunities, that peace. Let him prevail in your life. I know it makes all the difference. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.